Welcome to The Worst Bestsellers, where we read about kidnapped horny teenagers so you don't have to. I'm Kate. And I'm Renata. And for this episode, we read The Face on the Milk Carton by Caroline B. Cooney. Joining us to discuss this confusing work is Jenny Weber, who studied Caroline B. Cooney with Renata at Grinnell and now raises money so kids without the same advantages can also experience a liberal arts education in the middle of Iowa or wherever else if they want to. Hi, Jenny. Hi. In college, Jenny was the co-founder of the Caroline B. Cooney Book Club, (laughs) which was not a formally recognized college extracurricular i think it would have qualified we should have gone for for student group funding <laughs> it's true in retrospect by the way i was not the other co-founder i don't want to step on that i was just a member <laughs> so uh so carolyn b cooney i think a lot of people she's written a lot of books enough that you could have a whole book club about her if you wanted to and i think um there are this was kind of an, an early, like, YA thriller, like, probably one of the first things that would be really considered YA, as opposed to, like, children's. Like, these are definitely books about teenagers having some sexy, mysterious times. Yeah, this was, like, right in the same time as early, like, the R.L. Stein, the Christopher Pike, Lois Duncan, all kind of were in the same sort of pulpy pre-YA YA. It was also banned. Yeah. In a number of circles anyway. For yeah. sexual content. Frequently challenged. Yes. Which is, is funny because now you read it and it's like weird but it's not really like that sexy. Right. Yeah. Um, this is, I mean, so this was a book that I, I definitely read as a teenager. I read some of the sequels. At one point, I was like, this is just too ridiculous for me. I can't do this anymore. <laughs> um, but it's a book, too. I was Googling a couple days ago looking for something. And it's a book that I think a lot of people, like, really remember from their childhoods. And it really resonated with them. Which, I mean, I I feel like it's maybe the same way that, like, you know, we watch Unsolved Mysteries and Rescue 911 and, like, all of these 48-hour specials. Like, that was, before reality TV, that's what Mm -hmm. (laughs) we really turned to for that, like, real-life drama. I feel like there's just something about the premise that is, like, yes, it's ridiculous, but also it's... It could happen. I don't know. There's something about it that is extremely compelling and extremely engaging. And it's sort of like the next level up from that sort of most basic, like, well, I'm, I'm secretly like a princess and I'm adopted and like someday the queen's gonna, and like, you know, you know, that's too, too Disney, too juvenile, but like this it feels like more like, I don't know, maybe, and maybe that would explain why nobody understands me because I'm <laughs> secretly adopted. I think especially also because her parents are so nice because it, you know, you don't, most people don't want to think even in their moments where they hate their parents as a teenager, don't want to think that their parents are terrible people who would do something like that. So the idea that like, yes, you are kidnapped and you know, there is a reason for this, but like your parents didn't have anything to do with it. Like they're, you know, nice, good people, they didn't realize they didn't snatch you from someone sort of angle to it as well. Yes. Like one of the articles that I was reading, um, which either I think it uh, came out when the last book in the series came out a couple years ago. Um, there was like somebody who was quoted who said, like, I literally started to think this might be my life because my parents were too nice, like the Johnsons. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Um, and I guess with that said, I assume, you know, this is probably her most popular book. It's one that many people are familiar with, but perhaps not all. So we can dive into a plot summary if nobody else has any other intro remarks about it. Nope. I'm good. So it was hilarious to me. The opening chapter of this is so like stream of consciousness. It's so just like 
every single thought that our our protagonist narrator Janie Johnson is having. <laughs> and it, it was funny to me, and I think that could be something that would be like sort of relatable for a teen reader, especially at a time when there weren't many other YA books to compare to. But also, it's like, what is even happening in this chapter? Like, what is this book about at this point? There's a lot of heavy foreshadowing where Janie hates her name, Janie Johnson. She thinks it's too boring. So she, like, comes up with alternate spellings of her name and decides how she would change her name. And, you know, of course, later on realizes that that was not her name and when she finds out that Spring was her parents, is her parents' last name, for some reason she's like, that is a great name. Like, that also is not, like, super interesting to me, but whatever. We'll give you a pass. You're 16 in 1990. Right. Um, well, and, and Jane Johnson is a pretty boring name. She's right. It is. Um, so she so is her like... Yeah, yeah. She keeps adding like a Y or like an extra N or like whatever. But so yeah, her, it's it's her in school just like daydreaming about how her name is boring and like every other stray thought that enters her mind. And she's like a perfectly average teenage girl with a perfectly boring name, or is she? Um. So she is going to lunch with her friends and she's bitching in her head the entire time that she found out recently she's lactose intolerant so she can't have milk but she has a peanut butter sandwich and you can't have a peanut butter sandwich with juice you have to have it with milk and it's just not fair that she can't have milk um so they get to the cafeteria and she and all her friends get their little boxes well all her friends get their little boxes of milk and she gets juice And they sit down and they're looking at the missing children on the side of the milk carton, which I guess was still happening in 1990. I just listened to a 99% Invisible about this, like, not that long ago. And I feel like the milk carton campaign actually didn't last that long. Um, But that's neither here nor there. Um, She notices school it did. Yes. Um, She notices that a... One of the girls, little girls on the side of the milk carton looks just like her, has her same like frizzy red hair that no one else in her family has. And like her face kind of looks like her. And when she's looking at it, she gets this flash of memory about I can't remember. She has so many of these freaking flashes of memory, but that convinces her that like this little girl is her. Yeah, she remembers like the dress being scratchy. That, that she's wearing in the picture, or that the girl is wearing in the picture. Yeah. So she um, mentions, like, to all her friends, like, don't you think this looks like me? And they're like, oh, yeah, like, you were kidnapped. Ha, ha, ha. But, like, she can't stop thinking about it. So she saves the milk carton and brings it home. She gets a ride from her next-door neighbor, Reeve, who is a year above her, and he's a terrible student. Um... And you, I, I did not get the impression necessarily that she had a crush on him. Nope. No. But then I, all of a sudden, go on. Oh, I was just going to say, yeah, it's, it's definitely very, she's like noticing him in a new way. I don't think yeah. she previously had had a crush on him. Yeah, because like she says in the scene before, like he waves at her in the um, cafeteria and she's like oh like he's just her next door neighbor but her friend thinks that he's into her but like that's ridiculous he's older and he's a senior and whatever and then like over the course of this like starts to maybe have a crush on him and um so he drops her off at home and over the next like couple of days i don't think anything like major happens page by page in this section um she just is like continually fantasizing about she's a having these flashes of memory that she calls daymares and b like thinking these terrible thoughts about her parents like like what if they kidnap me like my mom just kissed me goodbye and on my way to school, would a kidnapper do that? Did she, like, kiss me? Did my real mother kiss me goodbye when I was kidnapped? Like, these terrible thoughts mm-hmm. interspersed with her, like, just having a great time with her family. It's it's a, which was a book of, very... a, of a kind that we've read before, where it's, like, simultaneously nothing happens, but also so much happens, where it's just a lot of, like, very boring details, but then, oh my god, was I kidnapped? And also interspersed with her kidnap flashbacks is a lot of, like, 
self-blame and guilt for thinking, because the narrative she's begun to construct is that she let herself be distracted by the kidnapper with an ice cream sundae. And so she's having a lot of thoughts like, I gave up my real family for an ice cream sundae, which uh, milk is a, and dairy products are very heavily featured in this book. <laughs> <laughs> And food generally. And food generally. (laughs) There's a lot of food issues. Yeah, there's a lot of fat shaming in this book. There's a lot of talk of Weight Watchers. And uh, the dad in particular, like, constantly is talking about, like, oh, like, to the mom. Like, you can't eat that. You're going to get fat. Or you're going to put on weight if you eat cake. And stuff like that. And, you know, comparing themselves to other characters. Comparing her mom to other moms who are fatter than her. It is not great. In that respect. I was just going to say, Janie and her mother take a whole cake decorating class under the premise that Janie's mother will eat none of it. It is dark, this body shaming. And then Janie's mom loves the cake decorating class because everyone else in cake class is fatter than her. And she feels great about it. (laughs) (laughs) There's also a scene where Janie is like, she goes to get ice cream out of the freezer to have as a snack, and then she has another, like, kidnapping-related, like, panic attack, and she just, like, runs outside and leaves the ice cream, and then her mom comes out, and she thinks her mom's gonna yell at her for, like, wasting the ice cream, but her mom's like, you made such a good decision to go exercise instead of eating ice cream, and it's like, this is clearly something's going on with your child, like, I don't think you should congratulate her right now, but okay, Mrs. And then she she loses a bunch of weight due to stress. At least that wasn't positively reinforced, I guess. Yeah. Anyway, so a lot of this book is really just sort of that, like her having these flashbacks and doing this sort of investigation, like microfilm reading and uh, poking around the attic. Uh, I would say like the two major things that kind of come out before the big reveal is uh, one, she finds out that she'll need her birth certificate to get her driver's license. Her getting her driver's license is also a recurring big thing. Um, So she asks her mom about it, and her mom gets really sketchy and is like, oh, well, we don't have it here. It's in the safe deposit box at the bank, and the bank's going to be closed soon, and it's going to be closed tomorrow, so we can't, like, go and get it for you which she thinks is sketchy and she kind of pushes it and her mom shuts it down. And then um, one day after school, when her parents aren't home, she goes up into the attic and she finds all of the boxes labeled with letters uh, corresponding to the first name of people in her family. And she finds one with an H on it, which is strange because no one in her family's name starts with H and she opens it up and it's filled with like report cards and letters and drawings from someone named Hannah. And in that chest is the polka dotted dress from the missing picture that she remembers. Uh, So she's like fucking sure at this point that she's been kidnapped by her parents And has, like, a real snotty dinner with them where she won't answer their questions and snaps at them. And then the next... She won't eat the pot roast that her mother works so hard on. Yeah, she would rather have a cheeseburger from McDonald's. Um, So the next day, she confronts them finally and is like, who's Hannah? Like, why, you know, are you not my... Like, why don't I have a birth certificate? Who's Hannah? Like, what... What is all of this? Uh, so her parents sit her down and explain that Hannah is their real daughter. Um, she is technically their granddaughter. That Hannah uh, grew up like she was really like nervy as a as a little girl and obsessed with right and wrong. And when she was a teenager, she joined a cult. And no matter how hard they tried to get her out of the cult, like how many deprogrammings they put her through, how many times they wrote to her or called her, like she refused to leave. And then one day she showed up at their house with a little girl, and it was Janie, and claimed that it was her daughter by her mate, quote unquote, from the cult that she was assigned, and that she wanted to get away. So they like moved secretly because her father's company knew about the cult and about Hannah. So they were like, Oh, like we'll help you leave secretly so that the cult people won't be able to find you. Yeah. And they it's do. It's basically a like self-imposed witness protection program. Yeah. 
And then Hannah decides to go back to the cult. So then they have to move even more secretly because, uh, you know, Hannah, could, if she could find them once, she can find them again. So they change their name from Jeb- Jevonson, Jevitson, something like that, to Johnson. And they cut off all contact with Hannah. They stop sending her letters and phone calls because, you know, they're prioritizing Janie's health over Hannah's. And that's why, you know, they don't have a birth certificate for her. They don't have baby photos. And it all makes sense to Janie. And then, like, the next morning she wakes up. She's like, no, none of it makes sense. My parents are kidnappers. This is a story they made up. Yes. And then she goes to the microfilm, because we love a book with microfilm. And well, she, she goes to Jersey first, doesn't she? She actually drives I, down there. I thought she had gotten the address from the microphone. She finds, or oh no, it's from the milk carton, I guess. She finds the address of the people who, who were looking for the milk carton child that is Janie. And so yeah, she does go to New Jersey with Reeve to look at the house of the yeah, family. Yeah, they like... They skip school and drive down from Connecticut to New Jersey and like just like low key drive by the house just as the school bus is letting out. And they see all of these like red haired children who look like Janie walking up to the house and she freaks out and they leave and there's like a ton of traffic and somehow... uh, As a person who has driven from New Jersey to Connecticut a lot... (laughs) A lot of this was not particularly believable, but in the middle of this, like, freak out about being kidnapped, she's like, what if we stop at a motel and they, like, don't have sex, but they pay for it's the room. Like, I, weird it's, thing. It's, it's clearly a scene that's more about setting them up in this motel room for, like, sexually charged reasons than it is about geographical plausibility. Yes. <laughs> Um, but so eventually they get back home and all of their parents are angry at them. But yeah, because especially because this is like the day after they were like, we lost Hannah and we can't lose you. And we're like very paranoid. And then she like disappeared and they freaked out. But then uh, they f- forgave her when she was just like, I'm just having trouble adjusting. Yes. And Reeve's just a really good friend. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so she writes a letter. Is that when she writes the letter or is that when the microfilm? She does the microfilm the next day on the way home from school, telling no one, leaving her excessively paranoid parents to freak out again for the second time in two days that that she has disappeared on them. That's when Reeve finds her and starts to get annoyed with her obsession with the fact that she's clearly been kidnapped reeve switches pretty quick from i'm your trusted confidant to i just want to bone and please stop talking about new jersey yeah (laughs) yeah he's like i i mean i understand why you're interested in this but aren't you also interested in me reeve yeah (laughs) um so after that she decides that she's gonna write the spring family a letter But then after she's done writing it, she decides she's not going to send it. She started writing the letter because Reeve withdrew and that was her outlet. So she had nobody else to talk to about this and started writing down all of her different theories and summaries of what could have happened when she was taken. Yeah, it was it was more like journal processing than like a formal letter. And all along she was like, I'll never send it. I'll never send it. And then she enters basically a dissociative fugue driven by the fact that she stopped eating and at some point addresses the letter, at some point loses the letter, realizes it, completely freaks out and starts theorizing about what will happen if this thing shows up in New Jersey. Yeah. So, and then in a convenient twist, her homework assignment is to address a bunch of letters to be sent out (laughs) on behalf of students against uh, drunk driving. So she has all these envelopes, and and she keeps, like, spacing out and putting her home address instead of the school home address as the return address. So she has all these envelopes, and so she must have accidentally mailed out the letter somehow in this sad, sad process. And... Oh, and one thing that's not 
Uh, Reeve is the youngest of four, and his three older siblings are, like, huge overachievers, so Reeve is always very uh, sad about that. And his sister Lizzie is in law school and, like, very much a know-it-all. And Janie doesn't like Lizzie, but then also decides that they can trust her when she starts having all these, like, legal questions. Yeah. Um, so at that point... She sends a letter, um, she tells her parents about yeah, what like, happened. Because she's like, oh my god, I sent this letter and they're going to find out and you're going to go to jail and I didn't mean to, but I just like, ah, basically. It's like a chapter of screaming. And they sort of piece together that Hannah, their daughter, actually kidnapped Janie. And that, you know, she's not, she wasn't Hannah's biological daughter, so they also, like, figure that they have to call the Spring family because that's the right thing to do. And, you know, if it was their daughter, blah, blah, blah. But she doesn't, Janie doesn't want them to call because she doesn't want them to get in trouble. And and Lizzie, the future lawyer, told them that kidnapping is a crime with no statute of limitations. Yes. But her mother is just, like, very insistent that you know they've spent all these years looking for their daughter they're obviously still looking for her like they can't keep her from them any longer yeah and so it's the wildest cliffhanger of any book like her mom dials the phone number and then like i I let someone on the other end says hello and then it's like end of book well, Janie says, it's me. It's your daughter, oh, right. Janie. Yeah, yeah, And then end of book. Yeah. And I really feel like for me as a kid reading this, I think it was maybe the first time I'd read a book with a real cliffhanger like this, where I was just like, what? Like, that can't be the end of the book. I don't understand how you could do this to me. Like, what happens next? And that was huge. And I think that maybe also is another reason why this is, has been so popular and so remembered because you get to the end and you're like what the hell that's not a real ending that's a beginning and i i might be mistaken about this if anyone from my book club from middle school is out there listening but i believe that i first read this as part of the library book club i belong to with my mom um yes i did belong to a mother-daughter book club at my library that was a cool thing that kids did uh (laughs) the coolest that is so and sweet. I, because I think I remember us reading it and then like immediately debating whether or not we wanted to change our so, our next selection to the sequel. Yeah. Oh my god, did um, you? I ca- I can't remember. I know I read the sequel eventually. Um I don't remember if it, we did it as part of the book club. We might have just moved on because also this is a pretty pulpy book and we kind of did a mixture of more pulpy books and more literary books. Mm. So the librarians might have wanted to, you know, diversify our reading, which was fine. Like that was kind of what we had been doing the entire time was like switching kind of back and forth. But yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think I read the, the next two books, but did not read the last two books. I definitely one of read the only... one after that because you had to. My God. <laughs> so, I mean, we're we're mainly talking about this one, but I, when I when I look back at my memories of this book, I think I realized that maybe the parts that like haunted me more are actually from the next book, like of just her trying to fit in with her new family and like, uh, I don't know, something about it was just like so too real yeah like i and i like i this it's it's definitely like a good mind for drama like you name a police procedural and they have had an episode like this where you know it turns out like there's a custody case but it turns out that the kid was actually adopted and didn't know it because they were kidnapped or they were from a baby farm or something and now their real biological family wants to have them, but they've grown up with their adopted family and they don't want to leave. But what does the law say? And everyone's good people, so everyone loses. Like, there's been at least two Law and Order episodes about it. There's been a Criminal Minds about it. Like, it is it is prime 
drama because because every no everyone loses because it's a situation where you know everyone involved for the most part is good people who want the best for Janie but also want the best for themselves and it is just a whole mess of it's yeah. just a whole mess just a whole mess of yes. mill cartons yeah so I'm looking <laughs> at the the second one is called whatever happened to Janie and that's where she is forced to move back in with her adoptive family and they have like four other kids who all like kind of resent Janie and also have like all these family memories that Janie's not a part of and it's like terrible and I'm looking the next one after that is called The Voice on the Radio. I didn't read this one. Oh my there's five of them? Oh my god. Okay. So I only read the first two, I guess. Yeah, the voice on the radio, that one is where Reeve, the boyfriend, is at college and Janie's still finishing up high school. And he has a radio show, I believe, and starts talking about her, her story on the radio because he is like looking for a subject or something and it's super popular. And she, Janie comes to visit him and is super mad that like he's exploiting this, but also Hannah calls the, the into the radio show and is like, I'm Hannah. Janie's the, the girl who kidnapped Janie. Oh shit. Um, Whoa. And yeah, it, it's like super. And then she, sh- I think she shows up too. Whoa. That would make her vulnerable to immediate arrest. <laughs> yeah. I, I think like then it, it might, it okay. might. I have Wikipedia open. Okay. <laughs> uh, before the end of the novel is revealed that Hannah died many years ago in California. <gasps> Though in the fourth novel, it was eventually revealed that it was faked. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> This is so much. I can't even believe it. There's so much drama in the first two books I read, and there's three more books worth of this. Well, I know the latest book came out, like, I think in, like, 2011 or something. Wow. <laughs> this is going on for a while. It was definitely, like, many years later. But at the same time, it only is supposed to take place, like, a couple years after the first book came out. Oh, yeah. So Janie Face to Face came out in 2013. <laughs> Holy shit, CBC. So she's not, like, in her late 30s navigating life. No, she's, life, like, but... in college, I think it, it said. I, I haven't read this one. I only read through the end of The Voice on the Radio. Carolyn Cooney is an... 70 years old, y'all. Yep. Wow, this is a lot. You, you could tell. You could tell. <laughs> <laughs> you could tell she wasn't up to date with the hip youth lingo. Oh, I mean, when she talked about how Janie would cherish the memories of her first sexual exploitations with her, <laughs> her first exploits with Reeve, like, no. Yeah. <laughs> nope. I know there's also a made-for-TV movie about... Yes, Wikipedia says Kelly Martin played Janie. Yeah. Uh, Becca, when I was talking to Becca about this before we started recording, she was like, oh yeah, I think there's a like a Hallmark Channel movie about that. And she looked it up and it does indeed exist, which I mean, it sounds, that's what it sounds like. It sounds like a Lifetime movie. Yes. Like if you were to describe this plot for me, I'd be like, that's a Lifetime movie. So. Yeah. So, um, I don't know. I, I feel like it, it, it just is like sort of the shocking twist and like the relatability somehow that that made this so enduring and i you know yeah i I think it is just related to those kinds of teenager feelings of general alienation but also lust but also milk yeah and i think part of it is to you know, like we were saying before, the drama of like everyone, no one being a bad guy. And I think the, I think this might be a hard plot to replicate. Like, I think that it's not it's too specific to be tropey. Like if you were to write your version of this novel, odds are it would just sound like you were writing your face on the milk cart in alternate universe fan fiction. Hmm. So I think whereas like as time goes on and YA expands like our touchstone books of certain tropes are not going to be recognizable to modern teens because they're reading 
more modern versions of the same tropes. I think that this has pretty much been the only game in town for this specific type of plot. Like there's other cult books and there's other kidnapping books, but I don't think there's a lot of other books that mold them together in quite this way. I think it's so specific that, and it, and it, and it reaches out into something within us that likes this kind of drama so perfectly that it has been enduring. Although um, I think it may be coming up on the end of its lifespan though, to be honest, like we don't have this book at my library, like in print, I think a few library branches in the system still had print copies. Like we have it available as ebook, which I think is mainly for like adult nostalgia readers. I think if you took a poll of, of like current actual teen readers, I don't think most of them would be familiar with this. Although I do think if you handed it to them, I think a lot of them would probably still like it, but there is enough stuff in it that's, that's dated enough that it, and weird enough that it's not quite relevant in the same way anymore. Okay, cool. I was, yeah, I was basing this mostly off when I was working selling books, but that was like seven years ago now. Um, Cause we did definitely move a lot of copies of this series still. Um, and two teens, not necessarily two adults buying for teens, but again, like YA has blown up and continues to blow up so much in each successive year that, doesn't super surprise me that 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 is already dated yeah i mean like for us if things haven't checked out in over a year usually we'll withdraw it so uh so we don't have this anymore but um like i said i i I wouldn't be surprised if some teens would would still enjoy it but i think you know i i'll I'll put this out there ya authors if you're listening i think it's time for you to write a new secretly kidnapped stolen from a cult story (laughs) <laughs> with iPhones and stuff in it. <laughs> and uh, and not milk cartons. Uh, but I guess what? There's still, like, flyers in the bathroom? There's, like, benches outside the grocery store. Yeah. And trucks. On a lot of the back of tractor trailers, a lot I see them. Yeah. Because, I mean, yeah, even when I was reading this, like, we had we had milk bags. You can't put a child on a milk bag. Yeah, we definitely had milk cartons, but like I said, I'm like fairly sure that the milk carton that whole push ended before the early 90s because it it was it was sort of I think there were a couple a couple successes, but it was not quite as successive successful as they had hoped and also at that point like television like America's Most Wanted and stuff like that started doing mm-hmm. stuff. I don't know. There's an episode of I think 99% Invisible, which we'll link to, that talks about the milk carton phenomenon. I think it's 99% Invisible, but I'll find it. It's in my recently listened to something. Cool. <sighs> All right, so that's the face of the milk carton and a little bit about uh, the further adventures of Janie Johnson, aka Jenny Spring. Uh, any any other points we want to make at this point, or should we move on to our dramatic readings? Uh, let's move on to our dramatic readings. All right. So our first one up is sort of uh, pretty early on when Janie has seen the milk carton, and she doesn't have a lot of information yet, but she's upset. And I think that's about all you need to know. And Kate will be Janie, and I'll be Janie's dad, and Jenny will be Janie's mom. Oh my goodness, I'm late, cried her mother, throwing open the front door. Her mother never came in the side door. She liked to look around the front hall with its graceful mirrors and slender, elegant furniture, and into the beautiful living room she had designed. Janie, by any wonderful chance, did you start supper? We have our cake decorating class tonight. We've got to leave in 30 minutes. What's in the freezer? Anything we can microwave? Did you do your homework? How was school? She gave Janie a big hug and a little row of kisses down her cheek towards her throat. Daddy home yet? No. Janie stared at her mother. She tried to imagine her mother as a kidnapper, rushing into shopping malls and jerking little girls off soda fountain stools. But her mother was elegant, formal. 
She could imagine her mother raising funds for a scholarship for this little girl, but actually snatching her? Mother liked to conduct her meetings properly, with much consulting of formal rules of order. Oh dear, I hate it when we have to leave in the evening without seeing him. I hate not having dinner together. I read the other day that most families in America now have separate meals. Each one just grabs a bite on the run, a pizza here, a frozen Weight Watchers casserole there. I think that's so sad. Families no longer sitting down together every evening. And here we are, just like all the rest. I hate being just like all the rest. Well, you're not, thought Janie. You're a kidnapper. Her mother was beautifully dressed. She hung up her crimson wool coat and slipped off her high, slim heels. Her feet were very long and very narrow, and finding shoes was a real trial. Janie's feet were short and wide. There's nothing in me that's like her, thought Janie. Is it because I have none of her genes? Because she's not my mother? She forced herself to think of Adair Odell, who was so sleek. Adair, uh, Adair's mother was a fat, messy woman whose offspring you would expect to be total rugrats. So lots of times, kids didn't resemble their parents. It meant nothing. Her father charged in the side door, full of energy from soccer. What a team! He launched his first bear hug at his wife, and Janie would normally have run up for hers, but she found herself edging out of reach. What a season! I love my kids! They try so hard. We practice in the school gym because of the rain. Can't stand that stupid principal they have down there. Good janitor, though. Big help. I can't wait for the next game. We have so much potential this year. Why are we having microwave pizza? Where are you guys going? Don't I even get to talk to my girl? He pretended to kick soccer balls around Janie's ankles. Daddy, stop it, she said. How can I embarrass you when there's nobody around to see? Tell you what. I promise to do this in front of all your friends one day, just for comparison's sake. Thanks, Janie said. Cake decorating. Do you think it's the right sort of class for somebody as weight-obsessed as you are? I won't eat any of it. Sure. Listen, you two scarf down those awful frozen jobs. I'll make myself a real dinner after my shower. Love ya. Have fun. Bring me some cake. I want the most frosting. He charged up the stairs. There's a typo in this book. <laughs> they talk more than I do, too, thought Janie. They spout conversation continually, both of them. I have more listening in me than talking. I will say, great dad characterization there. Um, my dad, like, I could hear him saying the majority of those things, especially bitching about the people who work at the school. My dad was a teacher. He just recently retired. <laughs> It's very dad. Uh, we also, we didn't really get into the class distinguishing, di distinguishing, whatever, that's not the word I want. The class differences in this book uh, and series because Janie's parents and family are like pretty well off, but her actual birth family uh, and the second book, they are pretty poor. And so that's a harsh adjustment for her. And that was something that, um, I don't know, I feel like wasn't written about as much at the time that I was like reading these proto YA books. That's all. Uh, our next dramatic reading is when uh, Janie first confronts her family about, like, wanting her birth certificate and was I kidnapped, etc. And for this time around, Jenny will be Janie, slash narrator, and I will be her adoptive mother, and Kate will be her adoptive father. But Hannah had been an unusual child. Janie frowned when they described Hannah. She could think of no girl who even slightly resembled Hannah. Hannah had never wanted to do the things other girls did. She didn't play with dolls or ride a bike. When she was a teenager, she didn't care about boys or getting a tan or the radio. She worried about right and wrong. From the time she was very small, the inequities of life horrified Hannah. How could her family have so much and the world so little? Miranda could volunteer for a cause, do whatever a committee could do, and return home happy to a good dinner. Hannah never felt she deserved dinner. Hannah was beautiful in a haunting sort of way. Hannah always seemed to be looking at something else. In another age, she might have become a nun and spent her life thinking of God, but we were not a religious family, and I don't suppose she even knew what a nun was. The oddest thing was happening. Janie was falling asleep. 
the sleepless nights worrying about the milk carton and whether to dial the 800 number had caught up to her. Do you know what a cult is? Janie shook her head, bumping his shoulder. A cult is a religious group with exceedingly strict rules for the people who join it. The Hare Krishna movement swept America like a prairie fire in the 60s and 70s, Janie. It attracted young and old, hippie and conservative, East Coast and West Coast. It attracted Hannah. She met a group of young people who told her that if she became a Hare Krishna, she would be purified. It would no longer be her fault she had so much because they would not let her have anything. She would be saved. When she was 16, she fell on her knees and begged to be allowed to be one of them. Janie could picture none of this. They were scary people. They wore bright yellow robes. The men shaved their heads. They carried bowls and begged. You saw them everywhere, in cities, in airports, chanting and demanding money. But where we tried to be with honest with Hannah, saying, Nobody knows why some people starve and some people have everything. The leaders of the cult had answers for all her questions. And what Hannah wanted, in the end, was a set of answers and a set of rules. Yellow robes made her think dimly of National Geographic photos, but it evoked no memory. Sixteen, therefore, is a terrifying age for us. That's why we're having such a hard time with you, Janie. We have to give up part of you, let you drive, maybe take the trip with the Spanish class, go off to college, make your own decisions. But Hannah's decision, it ruined our lives and hers. Why didn't you tell me before now, Janie asked. Her mother was shuddering violently from her teeth to her knees. Because we were so afraid you'd want to find your mother or maybe your father and get sucked up in that cult too. I can't go through that again. I can't lose another daughter. Janie, please. They need me, thought Janie. They need my comfort. I wouldn't do that to you. You won't have to go through that twice. I promise. Her parents kissed her on each side. Her mother took both her hands now and held them against her cheek, as if in prayer. But Janie's a liar. They will have to go through that twice. (laughs) But not till the next book. Alright, so our last dramatic reading is uh, from when Janie is reading microfilm and uh, Reeve is uncomfortable when we are not being about Reeve. (laughs) (laughs) And I will be Janie, Jenny will be Reeve, and Kate will be both the librarian and Janie's adopted mom, uh, because they both only have, like, one line in this scene. I followed you in my Jeep. I wanted to give you a ride home. I wanted you to ride with me every day, always. And And you got on the bus. Janie was so aware of his maleness. They had shared nothing except a kiss in the leaves and another on the sidewalk. Are you in trouble with your parents? Reeve rolled his eyes. My father wanted to know where I got the money from the, for the trip. See, they think the first step in preventing drug abuse is preventing access to money, and they knew I didn't have much. So like a jerk, I charged it all to the American Express, and my father took the motel receipt out of my wallet. Oh, yikes. You don't think they'll tell my parents, do you? They promised not to. They said your mother and father have enough to worry about already. Did you tell them we didn't actually do anything? Yes. Did they believe you? What do you think? Would you believe your 17-year-old son if he... A body came between them. Thick, middle-aged, female. The librarian here was not as understanding about flirtation in the stacks as Mr. Yampolsky. In a dry, sarcastic voice, she said, Are we doing a term paper? And if so, may I inquire as to the subject? Cults. The Hare Krishna, how they went from being an idealistic organization of peaceable hippies to major league crime like drugs and kidnapping. He had said kidnap out loud. Janie felt truly endangered, as if somebody would notice, call the police or the FBI or arrest her mother. Oh no, Reeve! Quick, give me a dime. I have to call my mother. I'm not home. She'll be worried. I have to tell her I'm here. Janie could hardly punch the payphone buttons to put the call through. What if her mother had already panicked, already gone to the schools, found Janie had not taken her own bus? Hello? Said her mother. 
Mommy! Janie was sick with relief. Lunch threatened to return. Don't worry, I'm at the library. I'm looking up a term paper. I meant to call you before I came. Sarah Charlotte says I've been in outer space all day. Were you worried? Are you all right? I'm fine. Is that true? No, it's a lie. I'm a wreck. And your father's at a soccer game, so I couldn't call him to say you were missing again. Mommy, I haven't been to a game of his yet. Reeve's here. He'll drive me. I'll meet you at the soccer field, okay? And that's the end of the chapter, chapter, but presumably her mom is okay. So, uh, there's more, I guess there's more after that when Reeve really, he's kind of fine in that part. But. Oh, Reeve. They do have a break. We didn't talk about how they broke up for a little while. Right. Well, I, I mean, were they even date? I don't know. They have this sort yeah. of very <laughs> ambiguous relationship. And, like, the whole thing does not take place over that long of a period of time, which is not necessarily out of character for teenagers to, you know, be dating two days, break up, and then get back together the next day. But it is pretty funny. It was implied, too, that he, like, slept with the girl he took up with in however long a time period that was. Well, you know, he's an older man, and they only have one thing on their minds. (laughs) Kidnapping. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Alright, so let's play some Would You Rather. I'll ask, would you rather discover your own face on a missing child milk carton, or be actually raised in a cult? I'm gonna say missing child milk carton, because A, I'd be like much more straight with my parents about it, I think, uh, and just like be like, what the hell? And B, if I was in a cult, I would not have, like, the internet or television or probably books. And yes, I wouldn't realize that I was missing those things, but me as me now, like, I can't imagine the type of person I would be without access to the internet. So I'll discover my face on a milk carton. I would go with milk carton, too. I feel like it would be a lot harder to recover from being raised in a cult just because of the kind of deprivation and limitations that are placed on you like I think Janie's probably gonna be okay she was raised in a loving home blah 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 and I I don't know I I, I think I'd prefer one-time life-changing trauma to long-term potential abuse and damage I feel like I'm always like three seconds away from joining a cult anyway so (laughs) uh i don't know why i just have that feeling about myself (laughs) so uh i i think i will choose to raise in a cult and then when i get out of the cult i'm gonna write a best-selling memoir about it and then we can talk about it on the podcast (laughs) (laughs) all right how about would you rather go on a sexually charged but unfulfilling road trip to new jersey or have a sexually charged but unfulfilling trip trade microfilm at the local library? Uh, definitely road trip to New Jersey. A, my family lives in New Jersey, so I could visit them and also probably like go into the city and see a show and like get good bagels and good pizza. But like Janie, I am also lactose intolerant, so I shouldn't be having the pizza. But like every once in a while when I'm in Jersey, I let myself have one piece just to remember how good it is. Um, And I also have been on sexually charged, unfulfilling road trips to New Jersey. So. Familiar territory. (laughs) I'll take the road trip as well, mainly because I I do work at the local library. And the thing that makes me the most panicky is when somebody asks me for help with the microfilm reader, because I don't do it very often and I'm not good at it. And, uh, and I hate it. And if it was also suddenly sexually charged, oof. I don't think I could handle it, so I'll go to Jersey. (laughs) My gut reaction was library, because it would be over faster. Like, this sounds unpleasant on both fronts, and if I can get through it without having to sit in a car on the highway for a long time, uh, I'd I'd definitely say library. Yeah, and you know, and your road trip to New Jersey would be much longer than ours as well, so. Truth. Fair. All right. Last up, would you rather... uh, be kidnapped as a small child or be orphaned and live in a boxcar. Um, Dorita is here and he wants to live in a boxcar. 
<laughs> I'm going to go with kidnapped because theoretically, if we're being kidnapped in the same manner as which Janie is kidnapped, that's still a pretty comfortable life. Uh, and as we discovered in the Boxcar Children episode, I am an indoors kid and probably would not be do very well living in a boxcar. Fully same answer. Mm. I'm taking that boxcar life, you guys. <laughs> uh, my my childhood dream. I mean, I I think it probably wouldn't be as. I'm not saying I want to be orphaned because my mom listens to this podcast. I love you, mom. But also, it'd be cool to live in a boxcar. That's all. <laughs> Let's move on to readers advisory, where we suggest things to uh, read or watch instead of or in addition to this book and you know i i will say like we mentioned before i still don't really think uh, as as kate was saying as well there's not really anything that's quite exactly like this but i do there definitely still is a huge appetite of like tweens wanting some thrillers that are like not too intense and that's something that i've really had to focus in on on my reader's advisory because kids like it's an insatiable, insatiable appetite for this kind of thing. And I don't really like to read it that much myself. So I have to seek out a bunch of it. So I'm like ready. And uh, I think the person who maybe is kind of like heir to Caroline B. Cooney's throne at this point in time is April Henry, who I haven't read any of her books still, but constantly kids are like, do you have any more April Henry books or books that are like April Henry? And so she has a lot of these kind of like, low-grade thrillers, and I think one of her more popular ones and slash the start of one of her series is called The Girl Who Is Supposed to Die. So you, you get it, just in the title. Um, and flashing back a little bit to when this book was popular, uh, like we said earlier, um, there's a whole bunch of other sequels to this, of course, um, but also Lois Duncan is very into that, like, true, mm-hmm. well, not true crime. Well, she did also write a true crime book, because I believe it was Lois Duncan whose daughter was actually kidnapped. Actually murdered. Yeah. Um, but she also does a lot of, like, teenagers, like, as the victim of crime or committing crime or, like, that kind of thriller stuff. Um, and for a more, like, horror take on it, there is, of course, R.L. Stein and Christopher Pike. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll, I'll mention a few others of the ones that I suggest as read likes for April Henry nowadays, which is, and, and we'll have these on the website as well, but Don't Look Back by Jennifer Armentrout, Panic by Sharon Draper. Uh, fake ID by L.R. Giles. There's some others. Um, Jenny, also, uh, as co-founder of Carolyn Bakuni Book Club, did you have any other, uh, CBC books that you wanted to highlight as, like, particular favorites or, you know, tell us, tell us more. Definitely twins. That was, (laughs) I remember that was, um, yeah, we spent a long time with twins reading it dramatically over Philip Glass piano solos uh many many happy <laughs> memories of evil twins uh, oh what shit there's a there's a recent ish ya book that reminded me of twins because it's about twins who are in a car crash and one of them dies and the one who's left everyone thinks it's the other twin oh i just read that book shit. and i can't remember what it's called um, and by just read that book, I mean I read that book like almost a year ago when we were in New York to see Hamilton. Oh, nice. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, if we figure that out, we'll put it on the website. Probably somebody is listening right now is like, you dummies, it's this book. If that's you, tweet at us. <laughs> all right. Yeah, so Twins is a great one. Um, what was the one? It was called like The Thing or The Creature or something like that. It was like, there was like a rock monster. Who was that? Oh no, your silence tells me I'm remembering something wrong. <laughs> <laughs> There's some kind of like woods creature. Wasn't that a Carolyn B. Cooney? I don't know. I don't remember her delving into like actual monsters, but I guess I need to, to oh, reference the canon. This, the stranger. Oh. Until yeah, she... She knows so little about him until she follows him to his deserted cage on the edge of town and learns the truth. Jethro is not like the others. Not at all. He has a terrifying secret. Uh, okay. 
Yep. So the I'm going to jump in. That exists. Um, the the book that we were just thinking of is The Secrets We Keep by Trisha Lever. Yes. Okay. So. So those are some great books that you guys should all read. Or not. Uh, oh, one <laughs> other thing that I wanted to say was uh, there's a Taylor Lautner movie called Abduction that I I couldn't remember the name of it, so I googled Taylor Lautner Taken because it's basically that. But the plot is kind of the same where Taylor Lautner, uh, except for in, it's not a milk carton anymore, but he is looking on a website of like, what kidnapped children would look like aged forward with software. And one of them is exactly him. And he's like, what the fuck? And then he has to go on the run. Um, and his therapist is Sigourney Weaver. And it's like, a, it's a real, tra- it's not a good movie, but I really uh, had fun with it. So, and also uh, there's a, how did this get made episode about it, which is why I watched it in the first place. So if you're into that, check out Taken starring Taylor Lautner. And also Lily Collins from the from the Shadowhunters TV series. So it's really like coming full circle for worst bestsellers. <laughs> All right. So we'll we'll have these delightful books and movies up on our website, worstbestsellers.com. And we'll move on now to our candy pairing, where we suggest a candy or treat to go along with this book instead of wine. So my candy pairing is Oreo cookies because they are the perfect comfort food for when you recognize yourself on the side of a milk carton. You can just dunk it right into that milk while you cry. Perfect. Uh, I said mine is a fruit juice popsicle, which is a a healthy snack that Janie's mom offers at some point because she is, uh, you know, obsessed with her weight and doesn't want to eat ice cream. Also non-dairy. Because it's like, it's good and you eat it pretty quickly, but it's ultimately maybe not really as satisfying as like that ice cream sundae that you actually want. I said something you're allergic to. Uh, and if you have no allergies, maybe you could go for something like chocolate you knew came from the rainforest. Something oh. you're going to feel bad about. Oh no, not that palm oil. <laughs> all right. Well, this all sounds delicious. And now we'll move on to The Rock, Paper, Snicked, the game where Kate says who Dwayne The Rock Johnson would be if he were in this book, and I'll say who Wolverine would be if he were in this book. And Jenny will choose uh, which most improves the book, or she can choose paper, which is to leave the book as is. Okay. Uh, If Dwayne The Rock Johnson were in this book, he would be a spy sent by the government to infiltrate the cult after a tip about the uh, Janie-Jenny kidnapping situation. After gaining the trust of many members of the cult, including Hannah, he would blow the whole thing wide open and the cult would be disbanded. He would also work personally with all the cult members and their families to help them through the transition and deprogramming. Uh, The Johnson family would have to give Janie up, but she'd be young enough that it wouldn't mess her up too badly and they'd have Hannah back. So everything would more or less work out okay. Um, I, I went in a similar tact. Uh, Wolverine would be a cult deprogrammer hired by Janie's parents to rescue Hannah from the cult. Uh, because he's the best there is at what he does, he would be very quickly successful at deprogramming Hannah, who would return safely home to her parents without kidnapping a child along the way. But then, just for fun and for spite, he would single-handedly deprogram the entire rest of the Hare Krishna cult, which is what this book would actually be. It would just be Wolverine versus Hare Krishnas. I have to go with the rack. Not only, I think this is a little, it, Kate is a little more fun, and Dwayne the Rock, uh, yeah, yeah, sorry. I lost my thought there. Rock I'm, wins. I'm often distracted also when I think about The Rock, so. Yeah, I just started picturing him and I got lost. <laughs> uh, fair enough. Yeah, I that, I agree. That sounds delightful. Uh, and again, The Rock Paper Snake is a game where no one loses except if you're in a cult, I guess. Yes. All right. How about what do we think the moral of the face in the milk carton is? Uh, my moral of the story is avoid milk products if you're lactose intolerant. Mm-hmm. If Janie hadn't stolen that milk to drink, none of this would have happened. Absolutely. Mine is uh, borrowed from the X-Files, but trust no one. Mine is that your parents will let you bone at the age of 15 if they're afraid you'll run away otherwise. Seems legit. All right, now it's time for Duarte's Corner, where we ask my cat Duarte his opinions on the book. 
You know what, Duarte, you're right. I I don't think Janie had a pet, and I think she probably could have used one to to cry over and pet and receive gentle, tender bites from. I think that could have helped her snap out of it a little bit. Yeah, you know, I agree. You know, I'm not always the biggest advocate of pets, but it would have, I think, probably helped her mitigate some of the trauma. And, you know, maybe her cat would be cute enough that he'd distract her from thinking too much about all of this kidnapping shit and she'd be able to just have a normal life. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, Duarte, thanks as ever for your input. Do any humans have any closing thoughts about the face on the milk carton? No, <laughs> I don't think so. Yeah. We, co- we covered it pretty. Th- I don't know. It's, it is amazing when I think about it, how intensely I experienced reading this book and yeah, how, when you go to boil it down, there's really just not that much too i don't know there's i think there's some like inner genius to carolyn b cooney that well you you could do a whole year-long college level book club and not get to the bottom of i suppose (laughs) yeah i mean i think part of it is a combination of the fact that it's a short book it's like 160 pages or something and the majority of it is her inner turmoil over for the first half of the book whether or not she should confront her parents And the second half of the book, like whether or not her parents are actually kidnappers. So, you know, you get through 50 pages and a day goes by, but it's all filled with her thoughts. So nothing actually happens. Yeah. All right. Well, we have have reached the end of this episode. So if you would like some more of us, the podcast, you can like us on Facebook. We're the worst bestsellers. You can follow us on Twitter where we're the worst. No, I keep saying the damn it on twitter we are worst bestseller with no s and no the um because those things were stolen from us by a cult and we're left with only worst bestseller uh we also have a goodreads group that is sort of complicated to describe the link to so just go to our website worstbestsellers.com and click on some things until you find it you should definitely rate and review us on itunes if you like us it helps people locate our podcast and learn the truth about the the face on the milk carton and other important things that they can learn from this podcast. And uh, if you don't do that, then, uh, you know, we will have to send a cult to kidnap you. And that's just the way it goes. Uh, one final thing we'd like to ask you to support is our Patreon, which you can find at patreon.com slash worst bestsellers or from our website. And that allows you to support us with a small monthly donation, which lets us do things like upgrade our equipment and pay our editor and maybe eventually purchase the domain name ruthless.com that we really would like to own. Uh, one potential perk of supporting us on Patreon is that you can get a shout out on this very podcast. And today we would like to thank our Patreon sponsor, I, who would uh, like to use this opportunity to suggest uh, their own podcast, which is called Decoding Keanu. It's about Keanu Reeves uh, and uh, uh, unpacking all of the all of the queer behavior in Keanu Reeves acting choices. I listened to two episodes of it this morning because I love Keanu Reeves and it's a great podcast and you should definitely listen to it, especially if uh, if you really want to unpack Bill and Ted's relationship. I would recommend that. <laughs> um, the website for Decoding and Keanu is a SoundCloud link that we will link to because it's too long to read out loud. You can also follow them on Twitter at Decoding Keanu. Uh, if you want to follow me personally on Twitter, I'm Renata Snacks. If you'd like to follow me personally on Twitter, I'm 14 across. I have a Twitter, but I've never posted. I'm a bad, bad millennial. (laughs) Well, if you'd like to follow Jenny, you should just sort of like, you know, drive around and see if you can see on any milk cartons. Maybe. (laughs) (laughs) My name is Jenny and I do have red hair. So (laughs) maybe this is my life. Oh my gosh. I didn't even think about that. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, Jenny, thanks so much for joining us and sharing your Carolyn B. Cooney expertise. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. You know, I think we forgot to mention in our intro that this is a part of our flashback summer where we read, uh, revisit some slightly older books. But this, uh, I will tell you now, this is the end of flashback summer 2017. 
And our next episode, we're returning to the uh, more or less present day, and we are going to be reading The Dark Archer, written by John Barrowman, uh, which should be a lot of fun for everyone involved. And I'm very excited to announce it's going to be a crossover episode with the podcast Bellwether Friends. So uh, everyone get hyped for this. It's going to be great. All right. uh, Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you later. Bye. Bye. Bye.